Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Your host, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the show. This was the week that San Diego Comic Con happened for 2015. It was. It kind of dates the show. We kind of try and be timeless. It does. But I think we date it every week in this section. Also known as uh, San Diego Genocide to certain actors. Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. Someone's getting too big for his boots. Is he not just a bit of a pretentious ass anyway, though? He's the wheat link in Zombieland, isn't he? He Let's be honest. He's like, he plays the same character in everyone, everything he's he in. He plays Michael Cera in he's everything the, he's, he's in. He's Michael Cera, only not humble, <laughs> and not aware of the fact that he plays the same character. <laughs> okay, so other than him, <laughs> yeah. did anything come out of San Diego that made you go, ooh, cracking toast, Gromit? Yeah, that um, toy of Jaws eating what's-his-face? Eating uh, Quint. Yeah. Uh, right. And okay. that is that it for you. Yeah. All right. Well, I thought the Batman Superman trailer looked all right. You weren't impressed. That were you? was not. Ben Affleck was carrying it off stage as well because he didn't yeah. look like he smiled anywhere anywhere well, else. Well, I did. Quite Although he's having a rough time at yeah. the moment, isn't he? What I did quite like was you know the shot you see of Bruce Wayne looking up at the destroying building. Mm. The flurs mm. match up to Zod at the end of. Oh, with the Man eyes. Steel, yeah. Oh, that's quite clever. Uh, yeah. So he's going to blame Superman for something that he didn't do. Yeah. Do you think that's going to be the point of the film? Could be. That Batman realizes that actually I'm being a bit of an asshole. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right, well, so yeah, that trailer was. I thought it was quite uh, quite interesting. I'm sick of seeing the same still of the Joker. Oh, the. I've, I've not seen the what? trailer, but I'm. Sick I've watched of, the Suicide Squad trailer. I'm sick of seeing that that picture. I liked the Suicide Squad trailer. Uh, I'm not interested. Maybe, maybe the trailer would win me over, but maybe I'm you not should watch it. Interested in it looks alright. I think the thing that impressed me most about the trailer was it wasn't the Will Smith show. Right. Okay. It yeah. was actually a Suicide Squad trailer. None of Harley Quinn. Right. For my liking, but and the Joker's only in it right at the end. Is it? Yeah. Even though everyone's made the big deal. About I mean, he may be in the film a lot, but Batman's in the trailer. Is it? Yeah. Is it Ben Affleck? I presume so. You just see a shot of Batman clinging to the top of a car see, the, as the car skids around a car. This is exactly why I'm I'm not interested in it. Why? It's the the Joker wasn't in the Suicide Squad. He was so not in the Suicide Squad. He feels like he's only in it because they can make it successful with him in it. Uh, well, this is Hollywood marketing. They're not going to risk a big budget movie on a Suicide Squad film and not put somebody like the Joker. And yeah. I mean, I think it's a bit strange. Harley Quinn's making a debut in a Suicide Squad film, a film debut. Yeah. Instead of a Batman movie, but hmm. yeah. and and Batman's in it as well. I don't know that he's in it a lot. Well, we saw that car chase, didn't we? I saw that car chase in the trailer. Well, we saw it being filmed. I didn't. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> well, we were there. 
And that's for it. the actual yeah. filming of the of the car chase. So that, that was cool. And so it was cool of you to be stood there. Yeah, he's heard of watching them film, and they invited you along, even though you don't actually like it. I, I don't. I said I'm sorry, guys. I think DC had a better San Diego than Marvel. I really don't. Right, yeah. I don't think I saw any announcements was, from Marvel that was. I, I did like. Go on, go on. What you were I was going to say I was quite interested in. Uh, the, yeah, there was stuff actually that made me go ooh. Um, the three Earth One announcements. Oh yeah, um, Wonder Woman. The, well, that wasn't announced yet. Flash. Who's doing Flash? Straczynski. Yeah. And who's doing Aquaman? Manapul. Oh, Francis Manapul. Yeah. Brian Bucalato doing it as well. I just Manapul. Don't know. Um, the, they did do the other one, didn't they? Yeah, announced another one. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Morrison's Black Batman Black and White. Yeah, I'm hyped about that. And just to keep you happy, another multiverse two. series, yeah. Yeah, um... That it? <laughs> You're struggling there, aren't you? Yeah, no, I think that's about it, yeah. Alright, uh, fair enough. I like the Star Wars panel. Yeah. Because there's a behind-the-scenes thing. Simon Pegg's in it as a funny yeah, little Yeah, I, I saw it. So he's in. And they completely screwed up poor Kevin Smith. I never thought I would use the words poor Kevin Smith right. in a sentence, but at the end of the Star Wars panel... Okay. They invited everybody who was in our Hall H yeah. to go to a, a special John Williams concert. Oh, yeah, the secret one. Which left Kevin Smith completely devoid of people. All but right. he went ahead with his panel anyway. Yeah. So if you stuck around for Kevin Smith's panel, you probably got the best Kevin Smith panel ever. Probably. Because yeah. it was almost one-on-one. <laughs> yeah. So that was, I think that, was a, that was a bit mean mm. of, uh, of the Star Wars people, I think. Poor Kevin. Yeah. Felt a bit sorry. Have you heard what Daniel Craig said about the rumours of him being a stormtrooper? Was it was it deliberately Daniel Craig and Grumpy? Uh, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am not. It, it was it was along the lines of I will paraphrase for Mr. Craig. I am, I am not a stormtrooper. Simon Pegg made it up, and he's got a problem with the director. Well, he's in it, so he can't have a problem with the director. Well, he's in a suit. Oh. He's not in it. He's so you can never tell with Daniel Craig: is he being grumpy or is he being snarky? Well, in the written word... It came across it, as snarky. I, I, I didn't know how or it grumpy. came across, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm sure Daniel Craig's not in it, but you never know. He may be. I think somebody's made a joke that if he is, it'll be the first Stormtrooper who can shoot straight. Yeah. <laughs> Which amused me. It's not true, but it's funny. Would his serial number be 007? Yeah. The Stormtrooper serial number, TK007. <laughs> Why are you at your post? <laughs> THX one one double oh seven. Why are you at your post? Oh, Miss Moneypenny. Oh, I am. I am seducing these new female stormtroopers. <laughs> I didn't have female stormtroopers in my day. Oh, this equality is a good thing for everyone, <laughs> especially the women. Oh, Gwendolyn Christie, get out of your armor. Oh, bond the misogynists never change. All right, we'll do an email then. Uh, who was the first one? Chris. Chris Franklin's the first emailer. Out of the back, the Spider-Man in black. I thoroughly enjoyed your examination of the original black costume saga. I do agree the costume really isn't a symbiote in the comics, but you can argue that it is in other media, as I believe it's said to make Peter stronger in the 90s and spectacular Spidey cartoons. But that was, of course, after Venom came along and somehow had super strength equal to or greater than Spider-Man's. Have either of you ever read What If Volume 2, Issue 4? What if the alien costume had possessed Spider-Man? It's a fun read and you get to see just what the alien costume would have done to poor Peter had Reed failed to get it off. As opposed to Reed getting it on with Sue. It's pretty sad. Plus you get to see it attach itself to the Hulk. Drawn by a young Mark Bagley to boot. I have not read that. 
But I am intrigued to read it now. Can you imagine the symbiote, the costume, the alien on the Hulk? Mm-hmm. Be cool. An even bigger Venom. Yeah, I think with that, the, the symbiote, not symbiote thing. Ultimately, I think it comes down to this is your serialised fiction deal, isn't it? Yeah. It's multiple writers and multiple editors telling their version of a story, and they probably didn't talk to each other. Yeah. And so you've ended up with these inconsistencies of was it a symbiote, was it a parasite? What, what was it? And ultimately, it's a symbiote now. Yeah. Because that's what it is with Venom. But those original issues, as we read them, I think Trentus was right, and it wasn't originally a symbiote. Okay. So that's my take on it, anyway. But, you know, that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things anymore, does it? Could avoid all arguments. It's the black suit. It's the black costume. Yeah. Fair enough. Chris continues, I always thought the costume just disintegrated at the end of Web Of. I think that was really supposed to be the end of it until Michelini hit on the idea of creating Venom. And then, of course, we see that Brock just happened to be in the same cathedral and still somehow living symbiote oozed all over him. Spider-Man 3 vs. Superman Returned. Hmm. Both are fairly misguided. I can never forgive Spider-Man 3 for ruining Spider-Man's origin with that Sandman nonsense. Everyone always points to the embarrassingly bad jazz club scene and the reveal about Flint Marco actually shooting Uncle Ben undermines Spider-Man's entire reason for being. What if Joe Chill revealed to Batman, I thought I had a BB gun and I wasn't going to hurt anyone, it just went off. Sorry I killed your folks. Um... Well, I'll finish what, what Chris is saying first. Eric Foreman as Venom was pretty damn nuts, though. And, and Arid's shoehorning of that plot into the movie, especially the nonsensical two-second let's-team-up meeting between him and Sandman, which is even more embarrassingly bad than the aforementioned Jazz Club debacle. I have to say I'd watch Returns before I'd suffer through Spidey 3 again, but that's just me. It's a damn shame, too, because I really enjoyed the first two films, especially the second. Looking forward to your take on post crisisness Chris. Well, first of all, Let's just address. Superman Returns or Spider-Man 3? Uh, Superman Returns. Why? I don't know. Right. Here's the thing. Because Spider-Man 3, I just think it's a dull, boring movie. Here's the thing, right? Right. Spider-Man 3 is full of born-headed decisions. Yeah. Flint Marco being the actual murderer of Uncle Ben being one of them. Yeah. It is full of bad scenes. The, okay. The, the, the debacle in the, the dancing place that, yeah, um, yeah. That, that, Chris, that Chris mentioned. Okay. Okay? It is far too long... Of that, I don't think there's any doubt. However, right. if you take the scissors to Spider-Man 3, okay. you can turn what is there into a decent movie. Not as good as the first two, I'll grant you that, but I have done it. I have sat watching that film and I've gone, right, if you cut the and cut the, we can make that scene better. It's and if we cut the and cut the, we can make that scene better. Even cutting things out, though, it's still a dull movie. But this is what, by cutting it, you can make it tighter. Yeah. You can make what is the better by cutting it by some judicious editing bit of scissors you can make that film better Superman Returns is inherently flawed in its premise no amount of editing right cutting with the scissors jiggling of scenes about or fiddling with the film will make that better because the script is flawed now the script is similarly flawed in Spider-Man 3 but like I say with what's there you can make that into a better film with a bit of... what well, I think Raimi's problem was he didn't have somebody over his shoulder saying, cut that, yeah. cut that. But Superman's more of an enjoyable film than Spider-Man is. You think? Yeah. See, I've watched Superman Returns quite recently. Well, and it's not as... It's, it's, it's alright. You came out of Superman Returns moaning, but you came out of Spider-Man 3 complaining. <laughs> so what's the difference? <laughs> I don't know. Complaining's worse than moaning. It is. 
So I came out of Superman Returns moaning. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I don't like, remember. Oh, that wasn't that good. A bit disappointing. How do you cock up a, a, a shirt rip? I, that is still a valid question. But Spider-Man 3, you're like, I already wearing him, burn him, throw him, and he, get, he lets him go. Spider-Man would never do that. He can't be Spider-Man anymore. He hang his costume up. <laughs> All that being said... <laughs> You can still take what... Essentially saying, if you cut some scenes out, you can polish that turn. Yes, yes, you can polish <laughs> that turn, exactly. But Superman Returns is flawed on a script level, in that you can't make a film about Superman having a kid with Lois Lane. You can't improve upon that, by the way, that they did it. Okay. And then have Lois's boyfriend be a lovely bloke. Because <laughs> you, you're like, well, who am I supposed to be rooting for here? Yeah. You've essentially made Sp- Superman, sorry, not Spider-Man, a home wrecker. And that's flawed. Okay. So no amount of fiddle fuckery with the editing and the structure of the film or whatever can improve Superman Returns. But you right, can okay. improve Spider-Man 3 with some judicious editing. Again, I'm not saying you're making a great film, but you can make it a better film. Okay. That's why I come down on the side that Spider-Man 3 is better than Superman Returns. Alright. Although Superman Returns does have John Williams' score in it. It does. So that automatically elevates it a good 60 points, doesn't it? Anyway, that's why I come down on the side that I come down upon. You obviously disagree. Chris obviously agrees with you and not with me. Yeah. And therefore, we can never be friends. Because isn't that where the, the internet works? It is. <laughs> can have different opinions. We cannot, no. Uh, Bobby Coakley's emailed in. Black costume and suggested reader. I am sorry your podcast is winding down. You both do a great job. Love the show, Steve. <laughs> So, by listening to your Spider-Man alien costume saga episodes, I realised that Reed Richards was not the only person to call the alien costume a symbiote. He was also the one who realised Sonics would affect it for reasons. Yeah, I think we mentioned that, didn't we? He's got a Sonic Blaster just lying around, and Reed knows that this will affect him. How? If anyone's got a Sonic Blaster lying around, it's Reed Richards. That's not my my problem. I fully accept that Reed Richards would just have a Sonic Blaster lying around. My problem was, how did he know it would do anything? He just... Dicks around with it. I'll oh, try right. this on it. I'll try that on it. That doesn't work. If try that doesn't work, work, I'll try boiling an egg on it. Yeah, yeah. See if that works. Alright, fair enough. Bobby continues. Some of what the Puma said about the alien costume helped Spider Man defeat Venom the first time. Puma saying the webbing is organic let Peter realise the alien's webbing was made out of the alien itself. This allowed Peter to defeat Venom in Amazing 300 when Venom used too much webbing, weakening him. The Venom Super Special in 1995 had a story by Dan Slott, his first Spider-Man story, and Mark Bagley set during Amazing 256, where the alien is controlling Peter's body while he is asleep. The alien fights crime and tries to get the sleeping Peter to kiss Gene DeWolf, which raises certain questions. It was reprinted in the first brand new day trade paperback, if you're interested. I am interested, but I don't have that trade paperback. Two what-if stories had the alien killing Spider-Man, perhaps accidentally, perhaps not. What if Volume 2 Issue 2 had Peter aged to an old man by the symbiote before dying? And what if Volume 2 Issue 114, the final issue of that series, had the heroes and villain never leave Beyonder's battle world and claw Sonic Blast Spider-Man, revealing the symbiote was covering Peter Parker's skeleton? Here's a scan. All right, so they did that twice. All right, that's quite interesting, isn't it? You noted the symbiote saving Peter and voluntarily leaving the web of Spider-Man 1 does not mesh with Venom's hatred of Peter. Fans explain this with Eddie Brock drove the alien insane. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bobby, that's stretching it a bit, isn't it? Eddie infected the symbiote. Yeah. Oh, well, it is symbiotic, so all right, okay, fair enough. I'll, all right, I will, like, I'll retract that, I will go with this, because it's comics. So, all right, fair enough. 
The miniseries Venom Dark Origin, Bobby continues, suggests Eddie Brock was mentally ill even before becoming Venom, explaining his irrational hatred of Spider-Man. Speaking of fan confusion and knowing Spider-Man's identity, here are two points about Mary Jane and the Black Cat. Mary Jane seeing Spider-Man leaving Peter's window to find the burglar that killed Uncle Ben was first revealed in the 1989 graphic novel Parallel Lives by Jerry Conway and Alex Saviuk. Uh, first a note on that, of course it was, I did know that, I just completely forgot. <laughs> I was just referencing Until Tales instead, but yeah, I knew about Parallel Lives. Until Tales of Spider-Man issue 16 by Kurt Busiak uses that retcon, which prevents the graphic novel from being outside normal continuity. If you're curious, both Parallel Lives and the Untold issue were reprinted in the You've Just Hit the Jackpot trade. The Parallel Lives retcon annoys a lot of Spider-Man fans and creators, as it makes Murray Jane look off. She tells Peter she knows after the Puma attacks instead of after Gwen Stacy dies, weird. That, well, that's just one of the, the reasons I don't like it as a retcon. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this plenty before. I don't mind her knowing. I would prefer she worked it out because she's smart, rather than she just happened to see him come out of a window at the very beginning, and therefore has known all along. That kind of makes Peter look stupid. As yeah, well, it, it, he's angry at that point because he's running out, okay. but I don't mind that too much. But I would much rather you go back and you find places, because they do exist, yeah. where Murray Jane could have pieced it all together, and then you tie that into that's why she turned down his proposal. Okay. Because she didn't want to be married to Spider-Man. And I, I think that would work much better, but obviously... Parallel lives is in continuity. There's not really a lot you can do about that now. Uh, Bobby concludes, I think the Black Cat becoming a bad guy in the current comics is tied into the worldwide psychic mind wipe from one moment in time. Felicia knowing Spider-Man is Peter Parker and the trust between them, even when Murray Jane was Peter, sorry, even when Peter was with Murray Jane, made Felicia a better person. Peter had Felicia look after Murray Jane during the major spider events, showing trust no matter how awkward it was. Forgetting all that and not understanding her life anymore could have fractured Felicia's sanity. Nothing has been confirmed yet. I will miss your podcast, Bobby Coakley. Oh, well, that's quite nice, isn't it? Mm. Thank you for that. That was quite interesting. Some, some interesting Spider-Man food for heart there. Uh, we'll do one email, because we've got one left. Gene Hendricks has emailed in about the post-crisis DC era of comics. Andy and Michael, I was planning on writing in about the black costume saga that you covered very well, in my opinion, but that's somehow an era of Spider-Man that I missed, in fact, in the comics that I had growing up. The only time the black costume appeared was once, and that was the replacement made for Spidey by the black cat. Then this show dropped. I'm unashamedly a post-crisis DC fan. In fact, the first ever Superman comic I owned was Action Comics Annual 2 from 1989, which is the first appearance of the Eradicator. Intrigued by the bearded sandals Superman on the cover, Superman being Jesus... Ah. Ah. I dove into the universe that I'd only known from the 1966 Batman series and the Super Friends cartoons. Being primarily a Marvel kid growing up, see episode 2 of the Hammer podcast, available on Two True Freaks, for my comic book origin story, this kind of long-form storytelling was right up my alley. Also, being a mythology buff, see episodes 3, 6, and 13 of the same podcast, discovering the George Perez Wonder Woman was a great treat. As for the pre-post-crisis issues, I think it's a problem with DC as a company. Look at the titles that weren't rebooted in the crisis. Batman and Green Lantern. Now look at the titles that weren't rebooted in the New 52. Also, Batman and Green Lantern. No matter what they say, DC has never done a ground zero full-on reboot of all of their titles, which is a shame considering the goodness of Superman, Wonder Woman and the Justice League, to name but a few. I eventually worked my way through the Man of Steel miniseries, which is still my favourite version of the Superman origin story. I did find it interesting how the three Superman titles at the time all had a different focus. Superman was about 
well, Superman. Adventures of Superman was about Clark Kent, and the supporting cast action comics was a team-up book, being the spiritual successor to the DC Comics Presents title. Yeah, I can see how that would have been a shock to readers at the time, but being before the Triangle era, I thought that having all the titles be about different aspects of the character was very interesting. Yeah, there are some problems with this issue, as it suffers a lot from John Burns. Must sum up everything in the last few panels! But for the restart of the comic book superhero, a few growing pains are to be expected. Where Batman is concerned, I did have a much bigger collection of his stories than ever did, than any other DC character. But I was a teenager, it, and he hyphenated that like Stan Lee did, which is cool. So what do you expect? I like the year storyline the best, although the change that McFarlane from the second half of year two was always jarring to me. Yeah, me as well. But like the crisis, Jason Todd was always the Robin that died. Oh, and I have a copy of A Death in the Family, and I really like the art and how the story was handled, but I never read anything with Jason off the stands. The story does sound a bit rushed, but I do like it better than if it would have been padded out. Better to get it out of the way and onto the story than drag it out, but that's just my opinion. By the way, the woman that Jason Todd thought was his mother did die. It was during A Death in the Family that he found out that she wasn't his real mother, which led to his death. Therefore, the story doesn't contradict the later story. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. No We've forgotten about that, Gene. No, it's not no prize. Yeah, it's yeah. in continuity. So. Well done, Gene. Gene continues, The only fault I can find with the Perez reboot of Wonder Woman is what happened to Wonder Girl. You would think that Perez would be very involved with that character, given his work on Teen Titans, and would have come up with some explanation in the first few issues how there could be a Wonder Girl before there was a Wonder Woman. Like I said, though, that is the only problem I have with the issue. The writing, the art, the respect for the Greek gods, all of it was top-notch. I like how Diana is the only Amazon to have powers gifted to her by the goddess and Hermes, so the fact that she took part in the challenge meant that she would win, which could be why her mother, I'm spurring you the pronunciation, didn't want Diana to be involved. We didn't pick up on that, did we? But yeah, she was she was given powers when she was carved from clay, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, so that excellent. she'd have to win the thing. Yeah, excellent point, that, Gene. Well done. As the question of whether Heracles would have been killed, that would have been an inexcusable breach of the Amazon Code. He asked for peace and should have been given it. To kill an enemy who had surrendered would have brought even more punishment down on the Amazons. That's my opinion, you understand, so your mileage may vary. However, it's an exceptionally good one. I like that. Okay. Because it does explain, because we got into that whole black and white, yeah, grey yeah. area thing of whether she should have just killed him and be done with it. Mm. But yeah, it's, it would have break the Amazon code. I like that. That's an excellent explanation. And that's Gene Hendricks, who does lots of stuff, including the Hammer podcast on Two True Freaks. He's our little stable mate. Is it? Yeah, we all live in the same house. Right, okay. You know, like in sitcoms. Yeah. That's how it works. Anyway, that's it for emails for this time. We will return next week with more of the same, but after this commercial message for somebody's show that I've downloaded off that that new website we've got for sharing trailers, we'll be back with a girl who lives a life of danger. Star Trek. Comic books. Mythology. Video games. Toys. Star Wars. Just about any geeky topic you can think of could be covered on the Hammer Podcast, presented by Two True Freaks. Come join me, Gene Hendricks, for whatever my disjointed mental processes can come up with, and be careful or you might just learn something before we're done. The Hammer Podcast is available monthly, both on its own iTunes feed 
and at twotruefreaks.com. Artist J. Scott Campbell has become a popular name in comics over the last 15 years, but it could have worked out so very differently. Campbell, a lifelong fan of the movies of Spielberg and Lucas, had aspirations to be a Disney animator, but the course of his life altered irrevocably when he came across a comic book. Now, Campbell had seen comics before, of course, but there was something about this edition that intrigued him. It had detailed line work, impressive panels and angles, and, equally important for the teenage Campbell, hot girls. Even more impressive to Campbell's eyes, this felt like a movie. Campbell took note of the artist's name, Art Adams, and started to devour anything he could by the man, which led him to the cream of the 80s-90s artist's alley, Michael Golden, Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane. Campbell started making a living as a professional comics illustrator in 1993, and by 1997 was enjoying a run of success with the image title Gen 13, but he was tiring of the soap opera nature of comic superheroes. He confided in his friend Andy Hartnell that he was becoming bored of stories with no discernible beginning or end, and of drawing people standing around and talking. He craved action. He wanted to draw a book with the breakneck pace of an Indiana Jones flick, or the laughs and irreverence of the Evil Dead movies. He and Hartnell started to plot. Hartnell suggested that the central characters be women, as Campbell drew excellent women, and the plot should involve intrigue, action, and the globe-trotting antics of the best of the Bonds. It should be widescreen action, as Campbell experimented with the comic's form. It would be a proper story with no flab, and, most importantly for Campbell, it would not be boring. Danger Girl was the result. An odd mix of cheesecake, girl power and gorgeous art, Danger Girl walks the line between adolescent male fantasy and female empowerment, but scores simply by being genuinely fun. It takes a dab of Bond, a soupçon of Indiana Jones, a huge gob of Tomb Raider, and blends it all together to make a confection that, if not exactly deep, is a heady brew of buxom action heroines wearing very little, performing implausible stunts, and fast-paced action that moves at such a speed you forget the problems with it. It tapped into the 90s popularity of such female-led TV shows as Xena, Buffy and Relic Hunter and became a genuine hit for Campbell with readers who didn't seem to care that it took four years for the seven-issue series to come out. The Danger Girl Operations is a top-secret organisation led by Deuce, a former British Secret Service agent who was lured away from retirement when invited to oversee the world's first all-female espionage network, a secret organisation that adopted the code name Danger Girl. His team is made up of Sidney Savage, an Australian supermodel-type spy with wild and unorthodox methods, and a proficient way with the bullwhip. Silicon Valerie is teenage British and a supercomputer geek, and Natalia Castle, Russian super-spy and leader of the team. In the adventure we're about to cover, we will meet Abby Chase, a champion marksman, virtuoso of languages, scholar of world history, and a heart-stopping femme fatale. The first Danger Girl issue was an eight-page preview entitled The Prelude to Danger. It was plotted and drawn by J. Scott Campbell with the story and script by Andy Hartnell. In this opening instalment, Abby Chase is on the trail of a priceless artifact, the elusive skull of Cucu Diego in Costa Rica, where she has run afoul of notorious scoundrel Donovan Conrad, who manages to take the skull off Abby, but Abby manages to use a well-timed explosion to escape. What Abby doesn't know is a group of women are following her in a helicopter. Abby borrows a jeep as Donovan flees with the skull in a speedboat. As Abby tries to follow Donovan, his hired goons force Abby off the road to her apparent doom. It's a good start, that, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, we're reading this in 
the Ultimate Collection Trade Paperback, complete with all seven issues, and an introduction by J. Scott Campbell, and rather randomly Bruce Campbell, yeah. who I presume is no relation. Probably not. Although it does have a, a nice pin-up of Bruce Campbell. It does have a really, really good sketch drawing of Bruce Campbell on the first page. And There's this is before... in the chainsaw yeah, and these copies of his books. And, and the cowboy from Dinger. Yeah, Briscoe County Jr. And the deadite in the basement. Yeah, yeah but there's no, no reference to Bird Notice. Because this was before Bird yeah, Notice. it was. So, sadly, there's no uh, bunch of bitchy little girls. There's not. No. And he, he doesn't look anything like Ronald Reagan. He does not look anything like Ronald Reagan. Why does he look like Ronald Reagan? Season 2 of Fargo. Does he? He's playing Reagan. Is he? Yeah. He doesn't look anything like Robbie Reagan, Ronald Reagan. Has that ever stopped him before? That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. All right. He's Bruce Campbell. He doesn't he need is, to look yeah. like anybody else, does he? Bruce Campbell being Bruce Campbell. Uh, in addition to a cover gallery, there are variant covers, posters from other artists like Adam Hughes, and the advertising material used to promote the series is also a very brief sketchbook. Uh, this series has been quite heavily reprinted, including an absolute edition and a treasury reprint from IDW. There's also a naked edition on the internet if that floats your boat. There is. I think you're right about that, though. It mm. takes some of the titillation away from it, it doesn't did, it? Because I had to read it digitally because you were at work. And, and I had the comment, I had the graphic It's novel. on there, so I thought, you know what? Let's have a gander at this naked one, because I'm, I'm too old to giggle at it now. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it just, it's blatant and it takes the... It's too much yeah. of it. Whereas yeah. this is the, the the prospect of the clothes falling off is always sexier than the clothes actually falling off. It's like you've got your cheesecake here, but the naked edition is the chef going up and throwing it down your mouth. It will. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Abby Chase is the titular danger girl. I love the organizer. Titular titillation. You like what I'm doing? It's very good. It's subtle. I'm thinking I may just get away with it. You know, is the titular Danger Girl, as I've said, clearly influenced by Lara Croft. Yeah, yeah. Barry and Indiana Jones. Yeah. But Lara Croft is influenced by Indiana Jones. So it kind, guess, of, yeah. kind of works out. Yeah, she's a typical J. Scott Campbell girl. Cute little upturned nose, freckles, quite impressive figure. Mm. Um, not to be sexist, you know, Campbell makes sure all the men are equally buff. Yeah. They've all got dimpled chins and square jaws and... and don't wear tops most of the time and if yeah. you do it's the shirt all the way undone yeah they, they spend a lot of time in wet Posing. t-shirts <laughs> and posing quite a lot don't they it was quite interesting to see how much his art has changed you think compared to now yeah right because I don't know a lot about J. Scott Campbell I only know him from the covers to the Spider-Man yeah so this is pretty much all I know him for Donovan Conrad's phone this this is just a pre-credit sequence isn't it yeah this is the teaser that's not really anything to do with the, the main plot he looks a lot like Timothy Dalton I guess, yeah. Which I presume is deliberate. And he's clearly insane. Yeah. He, he talks, talks to, to Cuckoo Diego. Yeah, I know. Which is a skull. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did like him for the short time. He was he's not in it a lot, is he? He's, he's like he's the pre-credits bad guy. Um, I'll be kicking him in the balls is funny. Because mm. you get a clang sound effect. <laughs> How's his art changed then? How's his art developed? Um, I, I don't know. I can't really describe it. The, the best way to know is to look at a piece he's done now and then... And then compare and contrast. Yeah. Well, you read this a lot as a kid. I did. I don't know why. I don't, no. know, I don't know what the appeal would have been I, I for can't you, see it, as, no. you were, as you were entering teenagehood. Yeah, but you... Can you explain that? What, what that appeal was? I don't know. I, I know what it was about this. Thing. It was quite a fun comic. That struck, it's, yeah. it's got lots of gunfights in it. Yeah, it's yeah. full of action. Yeah, a lot of action. A lot yeah. of action, yeah. No, I couldn't, I couldn't not put it down because of... 
because of the action the actions of the, 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 the pages and pages of action <laughs> that's, that's, that's what you, you got from this book you got yeah. a lot of action from it yeah excellent the gunfights Read, reading it this time I didn't remember a lot of the plot but, hey, I, there isn't a plot I remember when she wore that outfit I remember that splash page I remember when she took that outfit off <laughs> yeah yeah I remember that bath scene everyone remembers the bath scene um Donovan refers to his henchmen as goons which they don't like yeah so there's a guy so they're going goon mm. which was funny uh the cheesecake factor is a huge part of this series yeah and Abby gets the seat of her pants snapped off by um, by a, an alligator, which reveals her shapely bottom. Pretty much sets the tone for the series. Yeah. And begs the question, does she wear underwear? She apparently not. Clearly not, no. It's actually a blatant rip-off of um, Live and Let Die, jumping from alligator to alligator. Blatant because she says yeah, Roger Moore. Absolutely, so we'll give it a pass, because she actually says this didn't happen to Roger Moore. Yeah. I don't think we would have wanted that. I mean, I don't know, maybe some of the women would. Well, it was not supposed to happen. That crocodile was not supposed to bite him. Bite Roger Moore? Yeah. Or his stunt double? No, he grabs under the heel of his foot, doesn't he? He does. Because it was the third or fourth take. The alligators knew what he... Or the crocodiles or whatever knew yeah. what he was going to do. Mm. Smart. Yeah. Don't underestimate animals. I, I was thought you were going to say Abby wasn't supposed to get her pants ripped off. But... no. <laughs> Well, I, I but guess it's danger, girl. She wasn't supposed to, because you don't go out saying, oh, I'm going to rip my pants off. No, no, no. I did like the scripting. Yeah. As it switches from scene to scene, the double entendres were actually funny. I'm sure once we're alone, she'd love to knock that other eye out. That egotistical jerk thinks I'm captivated by his superior. T- I'm going to take that skull and shove it up his... Assume? <laughs> that was clever. Mm. That was quite funny. I did laugh at that. I thought that was funny. Um, the preview pretty much sets the tone of what is to come. It's frothy and light and funny, and it's filled with pretty girls in tight clothing and buff men in equally tight clothing. Yeah. Let's let's be fair. Uh, it's very much in the vein of the Indiana Jones and the James Bond flicks. This opening chapter, as with most movie franchises, is a cold open. Very reminiscent of the ending of a previous adventure that we're not privy to. Sets up Abby's relationship with Donovan, although we don't see him again. Mm. In this particular story, do we? No, we don't. Because he is believed... Oh, no, we've not got there yet, have we? No. He is in pa- chapter one. Sorry, my bad. We don't see him after after chapter one. What do you think of the opening chapter? It was fun. That's, that's pretty much yeah. the story, isn't it? That's. We can end the episode now. <laughs> that is pretty much what you're going to get with this book. It was fun. It's frothy and light and entertaining. It is exactly what it says it is. And, you know... Yes, that's, that's that's what it is. Chapter one is called Dangerously Yours. You may have noticed we are not doing the usual cover analysis discussion that we normally do. That's for two reasons. Number one, the chapters in this edition are not separated by the covers of the issues. They rather get a simple poster image in between each chapter. Uh, this collection, the covers are all at the back, but they're not labelled as to which issue they are the covers of. Yeah. Which made life a little bit awkward. And B, they are all exactly the same. Pretty much. Um, they are all cheesecake movie posters of the Danger Girls in various states of undress, normally with a gun, sometimes in a bath with bubbles covering the bits. If I have a complaint, it's, you know, a little bit of variety would have been nice. I guess. But, what do you mean, I guess? The, what more covers of her in the bath? The, yeah. Is that what you mean? <laughs> well, there's, there's in, a, in this, a series like this, there's nothing wrong with pin-ups of scantily clad women with guns. That, no, that's pretty much what it is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's so. like saying, "Oh, I wish all these story, these individual issues were completely different." <laughs> I'm sick of seeing these women with guns. It's like saying, "I wish all of the James Bond movie posters weren't a man in a tuxedo holding a gun, surrounded by women." Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, "You've basically just annihilated 90% of James Bond movie yeah, posters." Yeah. <laughs> I wish the Bond girls in opening credits would put something on. <laughs> I think you're the only person who's ever said that. But, you know. Alright, whatever. As Abby prepares to die, she is saved by three mysterious girls, and together they take Donovan out. She then learns that they are an all-female secret agent team called the Danger Girls, and this is her chance to fight for good instead of being always on the wrong side of the law. Led by former British secret agent Deuce, the Danger Girls have a new mission. A former special weapons smuggler named The Peach has resurfaced in Paris, and if you think that means the girls will be wearing sexy French maids outfits, you'd be right. Turns out the Peach has been in talks with a Hungarian art thief, and the Peach has offered an obscene amount of money for an old shield. A shield the art thief, Rico Lugosi, says is worth nothing. Deuce invites Abby to join Sydney Savage in the investigation. As per her orders, Abby dons her French maid outfit and hides a microphone which transmits the Peach's meetings to Valerie and Deuce. But the Peach kills Lugosi and makes off with the shield and the money, although a glitch in the audio means that they don't hear the name of the man behind the man. Sydney and Abby give chase, with Sydney taking care of the Peach's shemps and Abby in hot pursuit of the Peach. However, as Abby closes in, she is met by two heavily armed helicopters that open fire, apparently soon to cause her apparent doom. It's pretty much how every issue ends. Yeah. Apparent doom. Uh, picking up from where the preview ended, this is uh, an exciting opening. And for the cheesecake factor, Abby gets wet. She does. Quite a lot. Yeah. To be fair, Campbell does a good job with the underwater action sequences. And Abby escaping from the downed jeep and then getting the harpoon gun and then firing the harpoon gun at Donovan's boat which drags her up from the bottom. That was actually quite clever. And then she punches him and his toupee comes off. Yeah. Which was funny. I like that. We also get to meet for the first time Duncan who doesn't really serve a purpose to the... What is he? He's essentially Abby's manager. So Deuce arranges with him for Abby to go and join the, the Danger Girls? Yeah. Right. Alright, fair enough. He doesn't really serve much of a purpose in the story, does he? He doesn't. He's kind of porky and has a white shirt, and he makes all the people, or all his maids around him serve him were no tops. Yeah. So, oink! True. I, I, I do like his little pineapple camera phone. I like that Deuce actually says to him, you're not talking to me through the pineapple, are you? Yeah. No. I, I like that his name's Deuce. I, I still giggle at that. Why? Deuce. <laughs> yeah, but you've got to say douche. Because yeah. douche is a very thinly veiled attempt to mimic Sean Connery. I did try to read him as Sean Connery, but instead I heard him more as, what's his face from Team America? Why? Ah, get in the back of my car. <laughs> See, <laughs> his dialogue is, you're not talking to me through that damn pineapple again, are you? I guess. I, and I, the I, amount of times that he says, shocking, or smashing. I know, but, I just, yeah, I just heard him as Team America. You read him as Team America guy? Yeah. It still works. To think that the first time we met, you thought I was going to make you suck my <laughs> c- <laughs> <laughs> No, all right, I can't imagine Sean Connery saying that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Uh, let's should we move on? <laughs> yeah. uh, Campbell really doesn't draw real women. 
Yeah. Does yeah. he? I think that's a valid complaint. He draws slightly caricatured women with little tiny waists and pneumatic breasts. The fun of this book is that Campbell and Hartnell know that this is all ridiculous. Yeah, it's, every character's caricatured. Yeah, and they know, they patently know this is ridiculous stuff. How Donovan make a gag as well. He's not bothered about drowning. Abby's natural buoyancy will save them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of times in this where they did go to the joke that I didn't really think they should have gone to. Yeah. That was one of them. But it was, it was a little <laughs> bit funny. Only a little bit? I mean, it was a lot funny. <laughs> <laughs> I do apologise to the three women who listen to the show. I like the actual Bond opening credit sequence. Yeah, there's a, there's a two-page... What's his name, isn't it? Yeah. Two-page scene that is just the credits, and it's just naked women lounging around all over the Danger Girl logo. So it is it is a Bond... A Bond opening credit sequence. This really is a, a movie in printed form. It is, isn't it? It yeah. is very much that's what they want it to be. And it's seven issues and a preview. Mm. Two of the issues which were double-sized, or at least a third longer than they would normally be. Certainly issue seven, 30-odd pages. Yeah. So that's a bit more than usual. Uh, the Danger Girls save Abby with a rope ladder attached to a helicopter. And then, like Michael said, we get the Morris Binder-inspired images of naked women. I presume Donovan's fell to his doom. Yeah. Because he blows up as well. Yeah, but he's a comic book bad guy. He'll be he'll, back, he'll won't be. he? <laughs> Have you read any of this after this? No, I've only read this. Oh, I've only ever read this, yeah. All right, for us, we don't know. not doing the art kind of put me off a bit. Yeah. He's still Hartnell. He still writes it. Does, does he not at least do the covers? Uh, He did one cover. Oh. And that's it. So he's committed to Danger Girl, then? Yeah. Well, right. Andy Hartnell is. He's, uh, he's done... He's written thing. all of them. Yeah. But Campbell's not even done the plot. No. Oh, like right. graphic novels, miniseries, crossovers with Evil Dead. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, I've, I've, I think I have that at the end, but we may as well say it now, now you've said it. it they, they primarily just become licensed crossovers, don't they? They've yeah. done Ash and Evil Dead, G.I. Joe, yeah, yeah. and Batman. Oh, they've done Batman? They've done a Danger Girl Meets Batman, right. which may be fun. Yeniel Francis, you drew it. Right. And I just don't see him being suited to Danger Girl. I guess not, no. No, but that's why I think it may be interesting to... to is that a slightly darker Danger Girl story? Mm. How does Batman react to Danger Girl? Feeling a stirring in my utility bag. <laughs> it would have to be like Neil Adams' Batman. What, hurry chested love for, got Batman? For it to work, yeah. Yeah, it may be worth... I wouldn't mind checking that out, actually. Mm. Just to see if it is any good. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Valerie's watching television. And on the television, a Hawkster shilling Dungeons & Dragons card is Eddie Owen. He will come into play later. Yes, You'll see a little bit more of him later. Um, I'm not really aware of Andy Hartnell as a writer, and I'm loath to play stereotypes, but J. Scott Campbell is very much one of those artists that writes rather than a writer that draws. Mm. So he probably did need a co-plotter. But the motivation for Abby sticking around... He's clearly James Bond, Deuce. Yeah. Isn't he? Yeah. The flashback scene there is clearly James Bond. Because uh, he does, uh, like James Bond... And he answers, in a manner of speaking. He's tied to a table with a laser at his crotch. Yes. And it's not its not an Aston Martin, though. No, is it a Porsche? Looks like a Porsche rather than an Aston Martin. He's clearly James Bond. He's yeah. clearly Sean Connery, despite what you may think. Uh, Abby's motivation for sticking around is really lame. She hears the girls don't like her. She yeah. gets upset. She goes to Deuce. Deuce says, I have faith in you. Abby changes her mind. Yeah. It's not exactly nuanced, is it? If Sean Connery tells you that he has faith in <laughs> I have faith in you, Miss Chesh. Yeah. You, you'll you do it. Yes. Out of fear that he might go Highlander on you. That's... <laughs> there can be only one. <laughs> I think you are. 
They put one of yours in the hospital. You put one of theirs in the morgue. That's the Chicago way. You may do all that. You may go all untouchables on you. That'd be even worse. Even, it's even worse if he brings out the full Red October Russian army. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of Russian, Natalia Castle is Russian. Sydney Savage is Australian. Silicon Valerie is British because she's the computer geek. And Abby Chase is Abby Chase. Yeah. I presume she's American. Uh, I read her as American. All right, fair enough. I like Sydney. I think Sydney Savage was my favourite. Yeah. In true Australian fashion, she was taking any crap. <laughs> I liked her. I liked her a lot. A uh, really cheesecake scene next. Sydney gets out of the shower. Yeah. Wearing a very tiny towel. That covers... Nothing! <laughs> yeah. It covers the important parts. I like that... that's it. Do, do girls do this? Do girls shower with each other? Or is I, this just adolescent male fantasy? I would not know. Right. Okay. And they, <laughs> they walk around wearing really, really short tops but no pants yeah so is this just like girls just hanging around at college probably it's, it was even weirder in the naked version cause it's like it's, it's they're not even just hanging around in towels in the pyjamas they're just there with it all out I know um, that's, well, that's they, what we're talking they about they have to like design the costumes around them as well you can tell it's been quite badly edited so it's not an official version that then that's a no it is official oh did J. Scott Campbell approve that then I think he must have done the naked version yeah. It's not mentioned on any official listing of where this has been reprinted. Uh, I just assumed it was a fan touch-up. I thought that as well, but when I read it, there was no credits for any fan-made. I think if you're taking Danger Girl as it already is and turning it into a spank mag, you're missing the point <laughs> yeah. of what it is in the in the beginning. Yeah. So, you know. All right, uh, any of the two or three women that do listen, <laughs> let us know if this is how you hang around with your girlfriends. <laughs> Shower party. <laughs> there you go, smashing. <laughs> That's Sean Connery. Uh, they go on the mission. Of course, Abby has to wear a French maid's outfit. Of course, it's far too small. Yeah. <sighs> Some of it's a little gratuitous. A little. A little bit. That's all I'm saying. Uh, this is the second truck chase in two issues. Very inspired by the truck chase in uh, Rays of the Lost Ark. Better than being inspired by the truck chasing Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I suppose. There is that. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun and action-packed and exciting, and uh, I'll be using the ejector seat in the tunnel is brilliant. <laughs> she ejects him as they go in the tunnel, so he smashes his head into the yeah. roof of the tunnel. <laughs> that was funny. It was. And then he got run over by the truck, and the laughter stopped. Because <laughs> it was like, oh, we're killing people now. It either stopped or got a bit more intense. <laughs> Depending on your point of view. Oh uh, yeah, more of the same. Chapter t- chapter one. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty much going to be summing up the issues. Uh, you don't have anything different to say about that one, do you? Uh, it, it sets up that we're going to see more costumes. It sets up that we're going to see people... No, she's Sydney Bristow. She has a different outfit in every issue, at least one. At least two or three. Yeah. And normally they're wet. Yeah. And normally there's not a lot to them. Yeah. At some point, though, we'll, should we just stop complaining about that? Because... It's kind of churlish to read Danger Girl and complain. I don't think I said I was complaining. Oh, all right. <laughs> it's kind of churlish to read Danger Girl and mention yeah. that the Danger Girls don't worry a lot. Yeah. So, all right, we'll knock that on the head. Uh, chapter two is called Dangerous Liaisons. Abby guns the Porsche, Boxster hits the turbos and propels the car off a cliff just before the bullets can find their targets. She's hit the eject as the car finds the first copter, causing it to blow up, and she manages to grab a hold of the skids of the second chopper. 
Abby tries to climb in, but the gunner smacks her off with the butt of his gun. She falls to certain doom, but lands safely on the felt cover of the truck being driven by Sydney. Before the gunner of the second chopper can bring Abby in his sights, she flips in the bird with a grenade pin wrapped around her finger. He panics, then he too blows up, and the second copter crashes. Deuce sends the team on to Switzerland to retrieve the shield where they hook up with super spy with super ego Johnny Barracuda and infiltrate a party. Abby and Johnny are guests, Sydney and Natalia are servers. The Peach is spotted dealing with the party's host, the mysterious twins Kane and Abel, but their private security kid Dynamo and Mr Giggles take a dislike to the Peach, but as they move in to investigate they run into Johnny Barracuda, with whom they have a previous relationship. Abby uses the distraction to sneak into the Peach's room to take a gander at the shield, but the Peach decides the evening's festivities are too much for him and he adjourns to his apartment. With no other recourse, Abby strips naked, jumps into a conveniently prepared bubble bath and awaits the Peach and what could be, say it with me, her certain doom. The opening of the issue really does fulfil Campbell's desires for this series, that it just be fast-paced action-adventure with slinky women. Abby gunning the Porsche off the cliff and into the chopper cockpit is a great. That was a really exciting, fun little action beat. And it's well done when she grabs hold of the skid and then pulls the pin out of the grenade of the guy who's hitting her with the butt of the gun. Because if you go back and look at the panels, you can actually see her do it. Yeah. Which I thought was really quite clever. This doesn't seem planned. Her landing on the the roof of the truck does seem like happenstance. But it's a clever little action bit that she thought to grab the pin of the grenade as she fell. Because it shows that she's someone who keeps her head in the midst of all this action. Obviously, she's still wearing the maid's outfit, though. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of crotch shots. Mm. Because she's wearing pants, I suppose. Would have been better if she was wearing shorts. I guess. <laughs> You're not convinced. Not for Campbell. Alright, fair enough. Um, Abby and Sydney uh, are then given a lift into town by a. Stereotypical Frenchman. Yes, who looks like. Um, what's it? Who? Mario and Luigi. But Mario is yeah. a stereotypical Italian man. But he's not Italian, he's French. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't quite understand that. He will play a part in the proceedings later. He will. Because he's actually not more than he seems. Mm. Uh, I do wish Sean Carter, sorry, Juice would learn how to button up a shirt. Yeah, maybe he just can't quite... (laughs) All with his manly pecs. Yeah. I may be ancient, but I can still hold my own, Miss Manny Penny. Although I'd rather you held it for me. (laughs) It needs an extra pair of hands. We're coming to the end. If we go to this episode now, when can we do it? Alright. When he puts his mask on, he's Danger Diablique. Yeah. You ever seen that? No. 1960s spy movie, Danger Diablique. Like I saw it when I was a kid. I think I enjoyed it. Okay. Not seen it since, so it could be up to Tosh now. Right. But I enjoyed it as a child. I like how on the the Danger Boat, on the Danger Danger Boat! Yeah, uh, Deuce has got this big, massive TV. (laughs) And a big, massive map that lights up when he pokes his stick in it. When he touches it. I am going to send you here! (laughs) Switzerland. (laughs) And you just imagine that Razor the Lost Art thing with a red line crosses where they're going to. Which is good. It's funny. Uh, Johnny Barracuda shows up at the party. He's a massive tool. Barracuda. Yeah, it is quite funny though when he smiles and his teeth go ding. That was quite funny. Uh, I can't believe that he orders a slippery nipple in this comic of all comics. No, I, I can't. 
Especially the girl that he's trying to pick up. Who is she? Is she just a... Yeah. She's just somebody at the party. Because by that point, Sydney's buggered off, aren't you, to try and... Um, Sydney. Sydney, yeah, sorry. I'm confusing <laughs> her with Sydney Brister. And Sydney Savage. Yeah. You see how I get confused by that? Abby has gone up to the Peaches apartment. Um, Campbell is really good with faces. I don't want to diss on his artwork at all. I actually think he's a really, really good artist. He's really good with hands as well. Yeah, he's some good he's, hands. He's, yeah, the, the, the panel where Abby's had to flirt with the bouncer to get into the Peaches apartment mm. and her facial expression where she goes yeah. and she's grossed out but yeah the hands are brilliant and the facial expression is brilliant I can't believe the, the guy lets her in on the promise of ha- ha- sloppy seconds sloppy seconds yeah yeah when I finish with the Peach darling I'll be warmed <laughs> up for you oh that's kind of <laughs> you're like I, I, I don't know that that's something yeah. I'd be interested in <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, okay, but if that's what floats his boat. Beggars can't be choosers. Yeah, he's only the bouncer, he's not getting any action tonight. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Abby comes along wearing that dress that. With is, no underwear. It's pretty see through. You can see the, the lines of her ass, and yep. you can see her nipples. She's not wearing underwear. Oh, uh, well, I think they disagree when she strips off ah, to get in the bath, so she's got a G string on. Right. So, so she is, she's not wearing a top, she's not wearing a bra. She's not. So, so you've got that one, so fair enough. I was being a little bit facetious when I did the summary. When Abby walks into the apartment, she starts running the bath. So that anyone listening in to what she's doing on the top. bath. So I was, I was. The bath just doesn't appear miraculously full of bubbles. A good method for taking a dump in public. Yes. Is that what you do? It, if there's like people outside, you put the tap on. Excellent. Good. So I'll know what's happening the next time I come upstairs near the bathroom. No, I don't run the tap when I'm at home. Uh, brilliant. No, you just stink the place. I leave out. the door open. Um, this was a pretty shut up. <laughs> this was a, a really good, a really a great issue. I think it's the best issue yeah. so far. Really, lots of fun. The action's good. The plot. Such as it is. It's taken more of a left turn to Bond territory. Yeah, whereas, and it becomes more Bondy than Indiana Jones as we go, and then it goes back to being Indiana Jones yeah. <laughs> as we get towards the end. As we learn about the shield and the helmet and the sword, and they're all interlinked. And, and all especially that, so. that last issue. Yeah. So there actually being a plot does add some urgency to the to proceedings. Mm. I wonder what the Watsits would make of that now. Yeah. Yeah. So we should just not mention that. Moving on. You like the issue? I do, yeah. yeah I, I, I do really like Johnny Barracuda. Do you? I do. In that he's a massive cock. Yeah. But he's fun. Yeah, and the little midget as well. I see, like I, I don't think they ever really added anything to Johnny Barracuda to make him likeable. He's just a massive tool. He's every CIA super spy in all these slick movies you've ever watched. Yeah. But there's no character to him. I do like that, though. Oh, all right, fair enough. Barracuda. I, I thought they could have added a little bit to him to make him a bit more interesting. I guess. But Maybe on one issue he gets hit down a peg. Yeah. As opposed to always being super cool. Yeah. Uh, oh, something I think should have happened later on, but we'll get there when we get there. Issue three is called Dangerous Curves. Hey. Abby uses her feminine wiles to lure the peach into the bath, where she brains him with a champagne bottle. Johnny has problems with his own with a few of the shemps, but both Abby and Johnny suddenly find themselves smashing out of the windows of the party simultaneously. Abby has the shield, which she believes to be but one of several interconnected pieces, and she leaps onto a snowmobile with Johnny and the twosome flee. It's on Her Majesty's Secret Service time as skiing goons pursue. Johnny Barracuda is all quips and one-liners, but even his blood turns to ice when all the gunplay causes an avalanche. Abby steers the snowmobile off a cliff to certain doom. 
Ellsworth, Sydney and Natalia make it back to Deuce who says he thinks he knows who's behind all this and dispatches the girls to find Johnny and Abby. Johnny being implanted with a micro GPS. Which of course means Johnny and Abby aren't dead and have found a cabin to hole up in. Sydney and Natalia find them when they proceed to a new location, that of Enchanted Eddie Owen. Valerie has worked out that there has been a spate of thefts since the shield, all mystical artifacts, and if the pattern holds, Owen will be next. Valerie is right, but the Danger Girls are too late. Owen has already been approached by a rival collection agency, an agency that could spell certain doom for Owen. Abby spends most of this issue without any clothes on. Yep. So we've gone past the whole, let's just get her in a wet t-shirt, and now <laughs> let's just get her completely wet, yeah. but totally naked. T- tick all the boxes. <laughs> Which she spends most of it. But like you say, in the naked issue, this isn't as sexy. No. It's sexier because you don't see anything without, whilst seeing pretty much everything. It's like a, a seven-issue comedy dictees. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, there's no tease, there's no fun to it if it's the... Yeah, it, and it is fun. Yeah. It is, because you can argue she's doing this, she's exploiting a typical male weakness. Yeah. Like, because he is an asshole here, and he does fall for something really obvious. Well, yeah, because there definitely is some uh, sexualising, a little bit of objectification, but they're using it for their own... Yeah, so this is what I was saying, it walks that line yeah. between... Adolescent male fantasy and female empowerment. Yeah. Because she's never not in control. Mm. Abby always knows what she's doing and how she's doing it. And she may not like what she's just had to do. Yeah. But she is totally in control of what she's doing. So it straddles that line really, really well. Yeah. For the most part, <laughs> I think. Um, there is a couple of bits. There's a bit later with Sydney Savage that I thought was pushing it. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's in the cell. Yeah, but yeah. we'll get to that when we get there. Um, there's a very moonlighting vibe between Johnny Barracuda and Abby and Johnny and Sydney later on. I'd like I said they don't make any effort to make him a character. He's confident and smug and a CIA spy, and that's pretty much all there is to him, isn't there? He's yeah. got a big head and a big mouth. You like him, <laughs> so all right. The action's well handled. We've seen all this before. Uh, we just seem to be leaping from Bond film to Bond film at this point. There's even two Bond-esque bad guys. A little midget bloke with big, long, golden arms. Yeah. And a big, tall, bald man. Are they Mr. Giggle, Dr. Giggles and yeah, um, yeah. The Johnny Dynamo? Yeah. Which were great names for two characters that were really quite wasted. Yeah, they show up a bit later on. They do show up later on. And uh, I do like Johnny calling him Kid Dwarfamo. Yeah. And later on he uses him as a bowling ball. Which is funny. I shouldn't have laughed at that. I don't know I'm going to hell. But it was funny. I do like um, that we've gone underwater, so we've gone from Thunderbolt to skiing on yeah. a Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, I just noticed as well, yeah. the, the little midget guy's moustache changes. Well, isn't he not supposed to be Tattoo from Fantasy Island? Could be. Is that yeah. not he's supposed to be based But on? he's got, you know, just a normal moustache in this, whereas in the later issue he's trimmed it to a certain style. Oh, has he changed, changed it to a, a Nazi? Yeah, you know, yeah. A J. Jonah Jameson tash? Yeah. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> Alright, fair enough. Yeah, okay. That's, given how the story turns out, mm-hmm. that, that, seems, uh, that seems fair enough. I do like how they actually work an actual cliffhanger into every issue. Yeah. Somebody calls off a cliff... In every in every story, and that's quite this cute. danger world's pretty dangerous. It there's is a cliff at every turn. It is everywhere they go. There's a, I do like a skidding on the shield, which again is reminiscent of Living Daylights, mm. with the escape on the cello. 
Right. So it's another Bond thing. I, I do like this as well. Abby's fully clothed for the snow scenes. Yeah. So that was quite nice to see that she does actually wear clothes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's still cold. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It is very cold. Uh, and it's a shame. I thought it was a shame that, that Campbell doesn't do more sequential work because his panel layouts and sequential storytelling are really quite good maybe the seven year wait is why he doesn't yeah I mean his facial expressions are sacked to the detail as well yeah the detail in his work but yeah maybe if he didn't play on his playstation as much he'd get more work done because I, I don't think that this is seven years work yeah was it seven years or four four years for the seven issues oh right right not right. seven years four years Still pushing it a bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Seven issues in four years. We're in quickly level, though. Yes, yes, we are. Are we supposed to think the shield is Captain America's shield at this point, before we know the full story? Are we? Because, well, it's bulletproof and can do all kinds of wacky stuff. All right. I got a Captain America vibe from it initially. Okay. But, all right. Um, it's more of the same. It's fun and fluffy. And I like how they end up in the cabin and Johnny convinces her that they have to take the clothes off to dry them. Yeah. He's smooth, isn't he? That's what penguins do. It's not too deep. But it's fluffy and fun and, and hugely entertaining. Mm-hmm. What, uh, and, then, and then we have the, the cowboy guy in England. Yeah, why is he living in an... Ad- why is this southern guy? Southern... Because he says yeah a lot. Yeah. So it, Eddie Owen's clearly a southern American. And he's got the cowboy hat and the ponytail and the big long what's-it moustache. Yeah. Goes down the side of his face. Why is he living in an Adams family house in England? No, I, I read him as Alan Moore at first, and Did then you? it was a bit like... And then know, he spoke. Considering what kind of character he's like, with his, his dark... With his Dungeons house and Dragons stuff. Oh, what, what the car's called? Enchantment the Congregation. <laughs> Which is funny. Yeah. There's a lot of funny little Dungeons and Dragons stuff in it. I liked it, I thought it was quite good. Uh, chapter 4 is called Maximum Danger. As the Danger Girl's journey to see Owen Deuce takes a meeting on the Danger Yacht with the mysterious secret agent Zero. Secret Agent Zero was the guy earlier on who gave him a lift, just in case I didn't explain that. Zero tells Deuce that the Hammer, a fascist organisation, are after the artefacts. En route to Owen, Abby is taken aback by a friendly conversation with Natalia, who gives Abby a gift, a ring, a token of their friendship. She tells Abby to keep this a secret, as she has a reputation to protect, and thus a major <laughs> plot point cometh. At Owens, the girls learn of the second artifact, a gold battle helmet, but are attacked by the Hammer's forces that arrived at Owens' last issue. After a furious battle, the Hammer's leader, a fearsome figure named Major Maxim, was able to take the helmet for himself, along with Sidney Savage and Johnny Barracuda. He sets the house afire and leaves with his prize, as the Danger Girls continue to fight his team. In an effort to save Abby from gunfire, Natalia leaps in front of the bullets, as a Hammer fleet of tanks push Owens' house off the edge of the cliffside, and everybody in it, plummet to the certain doom. Is that getting old yet? Is, um, is that how every issue ends? It's, yeah, what do you want me to do about it? There's not really a, a lot I can do about that. Um, as this is a series that prides itself on being action and excitement with very little internal monologue mm. or characters that wallow in introspection, the first two pages of this issue essentially they're framed as a recap, but it's Abby just going through what's going on and they felt a little bit out of place maybe this issue came out after a long delay it possibly did I mean four of the issues were image wildstorm right. and then by the time the last three issues came out it was owned by DC so they came out DC wildstorm but this is issue four 
So maybe there was gap between, a big long gap between three and four when they felt the need. Because they do a whole recap page of who they all are as well, don't they? Yeah. And then we get another page of credits that's just everyone going... Yeah. Cocking their weapons and slamming them into holsters. And for some reason, we get a close-up of Sidney Savage's boobs. Because why not? <laughs> he ran out of characters to draw getting ready, he so... Did. So he does that Batman thing where we see him... <laughs> yeah, yeah. From, is that Batman Forever or Batman and Robin? I don't where know. We see him tight close-up of his ass. Hey, we're equal opportunity sexists on this show, if that's your... Equal opportunity sexist. Yeah. We don't mind close-up of tight male buttocks and female cleavages. As as long as it's all... As long as there's something for everyone... Alright. I'm happy. And I think you are too. It's the way it goes. Um, Natalia giving Abby the ring was, uh... That was a clear signpost, wasn't it? Yeah. That Natalia's up to something that she shouldn't be. There's been a couple of them so far. Yeah. I mean, the fact that she dies in this issue, Bunny Rabbit, he is, dies in this issue kind of... You kind of think she's given the ring and then she dies at the end, so there's a little bit of a false... Yeah. What's it? Oh, no, she gave me this ring and then she died saving my life. <laughs> but, of course, that's that's not how it works. And Nazis, uh, who the bad guy turns out to be. I hate these guys. Okay. Indiana Jones. Ah, oh, right, right, right. Nazis. Hate these guys. Uh, Major Maxim's a really well-designed bad guy. Yeah, he just screams "bad guy" from every port. He's like Darth Vader. Uh, he's dressed in a Nazi uh, general's outfit, black mask, glowing red eyes. He's a mixture of Darth Vader, Doctor Doom, and Baron Strucker, all rolled into one. So he also looks big hulking. Yeah, he looks like Doomsday. Yeah, I was just yeah. gonna say that. No, Dooms before Doomsday rips off in his containment suit. Yeah, with the the red goggle thing. Yeah. So yeah, I was gonna say that as well. Uh, Campbell's out. Exceptionally good throughout the run of the series. Mm. Very detailed. I really don't have any other experience for him, but some of these panels are really, really good. His layouts are very good. He's kind of like... There's a lot of Jim Lee here. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a lot of uh, Adams here. A lot of... You can see why he was one of those 90s image pencilers, even though if he never became, like, McFarlane or something. I actually think he's a better draftsman than McFarlane. Yeah. And I, I, I think he is up, though, with Adams. I think he's a little... I prefer him more than Jim Lee. Certainly in this comic. Okay, yeah. Maybe he's developed more a bit now and I wouldn't like his stuff as much now. But in here, I think he's better than Jim Lee. Okay. Do you not agree? It's a lot more stylized than Jim Lee, whereas Jim Lee was more detailed. Yeah. Yeah, all right, I'll go with that. But I like it. I think it's quite interesting how it works. Um, there's a number of mythological shields and helmets and swords, if you Google it. Hmm. on the internet. I couldn't find a specific parallel for these three. So I assume Hartnell and Campbell just made them up. Yeah. Which is fine. <laughs> Why not? And it leads into the whole Atlantis thing they come up with later. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, another cliffhanger. Yeah. This time a house being pushed off a cliff. Mm. <laughs> I, I just like the hammer as an organisation. I like that. you've got Hive and Hydra. Yeah, and now you've got Hammer. Yeah. I love that, like you just said, wherever we go there's a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> Just so they can have a it's, it's a dangerous world. It's it's a very dangerous world, yeah. Uh, issues that establishes the villain rather than leaping from implausible action beat to implausible action beat. You actually get to yeah. take a breath. This is when the plot starts, really. Yeah, this is when the plot really starts kicking in, when um, we think Natalia's dead and Abby works out that these are all part of a collection yeah. of artefacts that they, they need to get hold of. Major Max in the hammer... Uh, all of that stuff kicks in. It's none of this is startlingly original, hmm. but it is nice to see a plot kicking in. The action is still off the charts, the art's still pretty, and it's a slick package. Yeah. It does exactly what you want it to, doesn't it? I think there's a secret Russian organisation called The Sickle. <laughs> 
<laughs> if there isn't, there should be. <laughs> Very good. I like that. That's funny. Chapter five is called Dangerous When Wet. They would have called it Slippery When Wet, but then that doesn't fit into the whole danger, it, it danger vibe, does it? Abby, Valerie and Eddie are saved from certain doom by Agent Zero, who tells them Deuce sent him. Despite him wearing the tattoo of the hammer, they have no choice but to go with him. Elsewhere, Sydney and Johnny Barracuda find themselves the prisoners of Dr. Karnoff von Kripplar. Von Kripplar is trying to replicate the serum that worked so well on Major Maxim, but so far his experiments have been unsuccessful. He plans to test this new derivation on Sydney and Johnny, but only after he's touched Sydney up a bit. On the Danger Yacht, Deuce is attacked by agents of the Hammer, who take possession of the shield and destroy the Danger Yacht. In the Atlantic, Agent Zero, Abby and Valerie locate a sunken Nazi sub, and Abby goes down in a sea turtle to retrieve the third and final mystical artifact from this set, a sword. Agents of the Hammer have followed them, however, and take possession of the sword, leaving Abby and Agent Zero trapped at the bottom of the ocean. Things aren't much better on the surface, where Valerie and Eddie see that the reason the Hammer found them was the homing device planted in Abby's ring. A ring given to her by the traitor's Natalia Castle, who is not dead. Yes, it's certain doom time again. Deuce is attacked on the danger yacht in the opening scene. He gets to the bomb that they've planted, which is surrounded by a little timer thing, so you can see it count down. You've seen it all in many, many movies. It's on 009, which would have been funnier if it had been 007, as well as being a nod to Goldfinger. Yeah. Especially given his James Bond illusion earlier on. Although maybe he was 009. Could be, yeah. Rather than He was an actual 007. He was an actual 00 agent, yeah. And he knew James Bond very well. And, yeah. And the scene ends with him at his certain doom. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he blows up, doesn't he? Yeah. Quite clearly explodes. Yeah. Alright, remember that, lovely listener. <laughs> there are nine seconds left, though. Nine seconds for him to get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. And if anybody can do it, it's Sean Connery. <laughs> Sorry, it's Deuce. <laughs> I think we've added another one to the repertoire. Yeah, yeah. We? Should do an episode where I just do all my impressions. Yeah. That would be awesome. It, you should, yeah. It would be awesome for me. <laughs> Not so much for you or anyone who listens to this drivel. Do you think the Hammer mission was called Operation, Dr- Operation Drop the Deuce? <laughs> God. That's why I keep giggling That's when I hear right. it. Yeah, yeah, alright, fair enough. Abby is swimming again in a wet t shirt, clearly not wearing a bra. Yeah. So there you go, a little bit of titillation once again. Mm-hmm. Um, once we get to the uh, location of Hammer Island, yeah. where the Hammer are located. They're not on the map. Well, I was just going to say, one of my notes for the next issue, we may as well mention it now, when they, they, they have to locate yeah, Hammer yeah. Island, where the Hammer are, and um, Silicon Valley. Has to do that whole rejigging yeah, the yeah. ring so she can reverse track the signal. And I was just thinking, can't be that difficult to find Hammer Island and go, I wonder if that's where the hammer are. How do they get these islands though? Do they just go and move in or do they have to buy it? Yeah, is it a legal purchase? <laughs> yeah. Have they legally renamed it Hammer Island? So you're right, it would be on maps. The hammer have to like pay rent or something. <laughs> pay tax to own all this yeah, or have they just stole the island well, is there going to be a civil war at some point with some country just a little bit yeah, away yeah. who claims that that island is theirs <laughs> well actually furry you see this tiny little island <laughs> is, you have to pay land yeah, it's not Hammer Island we own it 
and we don't actually charge land on the individual islands, it's the whole area, so that's distance between islands as well. So yeah, Hammer Island presumably on a map. Yeah, yeah. So that would have been much funnier if Valerie had gone, <laughs> I went to all this trouble of that and I redid this and I did that and I rejigged the what's it through the through it, the dance. It, it is on Deuce's lights on that. And Deuce just points to it on his map. Hammer Island. It's out beneath Scott Island. <laughs> meet another agent when Sydney and um, Johnny Barracuda wake up in the lure of Dr. Karnoff von Krippler. Yeah. Krippler. Get it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's what he does to people. And this um, other guy's essentially James Blonde. Yes, yes. He's the Falcon. Yeah, yeah. And he's here simply to die. Do they all have cool names? They all have cool Mr. names. Mr. X. Yeah. Falcon. Assassin, Assassin X, later on. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Assassin they, They're all very stereotypically fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I was called Johnny Barracuda. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I wish I was called Thomas Magnum. Change my name to Michael Falcon. <laughs> Michael Eagle. <laughs> Something like that. Something really cool. You don't want to be Sparrow, though. No, Sorry, no, it's no. tech, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you don't want that. Anyway, Falcon's just here to die. Mm. So we don't kill off a regular. Yeah. It's the only yeah. reason he's here. Which kind of let the side down a bit. I think it would have upped the stakes. I'm being a little more dramatic if they'd killed Johnny Barracuda. I guess, yeah. It would have given some depth to what is ultimately a really slight story. Mm. And I think that would have been really good. I like that. There's a cool skeleton, though. There is a cool skeleton, though. Somebody's obviously already tried to, uh, to do something to and, and failed miserably. I wonder if Marla and the Brain are in any of these jars. Because that would be brilliant. <laughs> yeah. If the Brain was in one of these jars. Uh, there's a great bit in the middle of this issue where Campbell does a splash over two pages, but you have to turn the comic on its side to read it, which I think is great. Yeah. I always love it when they do stuff like that, because it really opens up the panels and it, it's, it looks different and it gives it a different feel. I just didn't think it was, it was worth the portrait the splash page, though. What, his, his hidden dungeon? Other than the amount of dialogue. Yeah. That Maybe that's why he did it yeah. that way. Because it worked. I, I mean, John Byrne did that. I think John Jr. did it in Spider-Man. Pretty sure McFarlane's done this yeah. at some point. Jim Lee has, hasn't he? Jim Lee's definitely done something like this. I liked it. I thought it was nice to turn the page and I'd have to go, all right, yeah, oh, okay, fair enough. The Falcon gets injected by the Incredible Hulk serum. And turns blue. And turns blue, because you can't have him turn green. You can't. Obviously, because it's not uh, gamma radiation. And then he blows up. Johnny Barracuda's reaction to that is quite funny. He just goes, oh. Yeah. Which <laughs> is quite funny. Don't get it in his head. And uh, brilliantly, there is lightning again. Just yeah, like yeah. last time when we did Green Arrow, when uh, Major Maxim takes an overdose of the, the Bane drug. Yeah. Because that's what he's doing, isn't it? It's, it's quite a, a kind of a Marvel thing as well. Yeah. Oh, why does the serum only work with you? Yeah. It's only works on this one guy. And when they all go, ha, 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 crack-a-boom yeah. of lightning. So that was, that was quite fun. Um, we see Abby putting clothes on, which is nice. Uh, they're on a boat. Abby and Agent Zero are on a boat with Valerie. And uh, they see if they take an Eddie with them for reasons that I don't understand. And the boat is owned by a guy called Captain Tanaka. Tanaka, sorry. Is he related to the same guy who owned the boat in Raiders of the Lost Ark? Could be, I don't know. Because that's what he is, isn't it? Yeah. Or is he a relative of him? Because Raiders was obviously in World War II, before World War II, so that guy would be old now. He would. Or dead. Yeah, perhaps. So I, th- I, th- I think he's related to the guy who lent the boat to Indian Marion in Raiders. Okay. 
I'm sticking with that. I All think right. that should become official. There's a really brilliant panel. I can't do page numbers as a graphic novel. Where um, Abby's just feeling overwhelmed by the whole thing and she looks like she's got a headache. Mm. And the facial expression is just brilliant. Yeah. I love that. Again, I love that panel. I love her. I love her facial expression, the little turned up nose. I think that's brilliant because it does show what a great artist he is. Really good. Speaking of Spielberg homages, as we just were with Tanaka, the name of the boat is the Orca. Yeah. Farewell and adieu to you first Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu to you ladies of Spain. Oh, crack a note there, didn't you? Don't quite hear that now. Uh, Abby's in swimwear for most of the issue. She is, yeah. I think that's worth pointing out when Abby just doesn't wear anything. To be fair, she's going diving. Yeah. So, like, what do I want her to wear? There is that, yeah. So, there is that. And then we get a big ass eel. Yes. Because there's always a bigger fish. There's always a bigger fish. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Yeah, big ass eel shows up at the end because, you know, like Michael says, always a bigger fish. And we learn that Natalia is the bad guy because she shows up at the end laughing evilly. And posing. And she's got a different costume. And she's got a different costume, which is nice. In evil colours. Evil, yeah, evil red and black costume. Mm. It's uh, quite good. I felt her betrayal came out of nowhere, really, but it's it's, it's the kind of yeah, it's kind of set up. Though, yeah. But she's Russian, so yes, so obviously it's she's not going to be offensive. But we're dealing with stereotypes here in this comment. Yeah, all right, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, it should have come as no surprise. Really, <laughs> yeah. it? All right. uh, amped up danger as we head into the climax. Deuce has been blown up. Abby and Zero are trapped at the bottom of the ocean. Sydney and Johnny are prisoner of the hammer. And Valerie and Eddie are on the same boat as the traitorous Natalia. So their life expectancy isn't looking too long. It's part—it's the part of the movie, sorry, where everything's looking bleak. It's the bit at the end, you know, where everything gets darker just before it goes completely black. Yeah. It's that part of the film. Still a metric ton of fun. The set paces keep moving at breakneck speed. Again, there's nothing original about the Nazis hunting for mystical artefacts. Not all that they are a shield of sword and a helmet but it's handled with just the right amount of tongue in cheek humour yeah that it's it's just just a, a jolly good fun to read isn't it, it it's is, just yeah. the right laugh and sometimes it's all I want from my comics mm-hmm. I just want something that's a good crack <laughs> that I can just read and laugh at and laugh with and look at the art and go oh that's nice mm. and that's that's pretty much what this is chapter 6 is called Dangerous Destinies Abby and Agent Zero resurface only to find the orca sunk and nobody around. Fearing the worst, they suddenly spot a small life raft with Valerie and Eddie on it, and a helicopter appears, piloted by Duncan, the bigwig millionaire who Abby hunts all these antiquities for. Turns out he's old friends with Deuce and recommended Abby in the first place. More importantly, Valerie has managed to reverse track the ring that Natalia used to find the hammer, and they set sail for Hammer Island. On that same island, the Hammer leader, an aged man in an iron lung, is given great gifts. The shield from Cain and Abel and the helmet from Major Maxim. With the sword on its way, the Hammer will soon rule supreme. (laughs) Anyway, my iron lung explains that there was once a race of angels that left heaven and mated with mortal women. This race of Ubermensch, the perfect Urians, ruled the globe, but one stood ahead of all others. This great warrior was gifted with the shield of immunity, the sword of sovereignty and the helmet of second sight. Sadly, the fall of the Reich and the great flood in Atlantis meant the items were lost to time, but now, now is the time of the hammer! (laughs) The hammer is my penis. Sydney wasn't too impressed by any of this, least of all the traitorous Natalia Castle, who Sydney promises will get a boot in her face. 
Surfacing from under the waters of the Hammer Harbour, however, are Abby and Agent Zero. Abby sets about finding Sydney and Johnny, but Agent Zero tells her she best be quick. He's planning on blowing this island sky high. Abby takes off while Zero plants his charges, but he is confronted by an old friend, Assassin X. In the cell, Sydney pretends she needs to pee real bad, but all tied up like this, she can't unzip her catsuit. The guard, who is clearly clueless, unzips Sydney's catsuit, and with the blood rushing away from his head, Sydney strikes, placing a firm boot in his face. Johnny steals the key to the door, and Sydney and he rush off to prevent the world's apparent doom. Uh, like we've mentioned, I can't imagine the tracking the hammer down to Hammer Island was particularly difficult. Uh, Duncan has allowed the people that serve him on uh, his, his island chateau to put a bra on. Yeah. Which was nice of him, presumably because they've got guests. Yeah. And uh, I do wonder why Natalia left Valerie and Eddie after sinking the orca. Why did he leave them alive? Maybe she saw them as the two useless ones. So you'd still kill them anyway? I guess. Have she never learned that the computer geek always is the one that gives the information <laughs> that allows the hero to save the day? The underdog. Take the computer geek out of the convic- uh, of the, the picture earlier on, she wouldn't have been able to backtrack the ring. Deuce doesn't have his map anymore as well. Oh, there you go. That's why they couldn't find Hammer Island. <laughs> not on Google Maps, obviously. Yes, no. <laughs> they got a proxy, so they're not on it. Yeah, that's true. I, I did like, uh, as well, in a, in a story that really does play fast and loose. Yeah with um, how the human body can move they do play fur with Abby and Agent Zero have to rise up from the ocean floor mm. in the little sea turtle that they're in so that they don't get the bends yeah. they, they can't just zoom up there and save the day they have to rise slowly so I thought that was that was quite funny and Duncan showing up with his helicopter was incredibly convenient you got nothing on that? No. Alright, okay, fair enough. He just shows up when he needs to, I and suppose. Deuce shows up with his short hair now. And Deuce shows up with because uh, he's lost his ponytail in the explosion. Yeah. Which he actually says, how the hell did he survive that? He doesn't say. In those nine seconds. In those nine seconds I was able to escape, but the two casualties were the yacht and my ponytail. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, okay, fair enough. Valerie's piss take of techno babble is funnily. When she says she's reverse-engineered the ring, she says, So by taking the transmitter and modifying its polarised subatronic quinstrenic nuances, I was able to demagnetise its xenobite core and upload, and everyone tells it to shut up and just give her the gist. Yeah. And I would have liked it though if she turned around and said, Yeah, Google Maps is Hammer Island's here. <laughs> Smashing. I, yeah, because he says that a lot, doesn't he? Smashing. Yeah. I did think that they were going to make the Iron Lung guy Adolf Hitler. Yeah. I actually thought, because we don't learn Iron Lung guy's name. We don't. At any point, which is why I'm just calling him Iron Lung Guy. Uh, Iron Lung Guy then delivers... Call him Tom York. Call him Tom York. <laughs> My Iron Lung, well done. Oh, if you want a Radiohead reference there. Yeah. Oh, he's good. <laughs> um, Iron Lung Guy, or Tom York, delivers two pages of exposition about the origins of the sword, the helmet and the shield that is frankly guff. Oh, but I really liked it. It's mixing and matching your myths, isn't it? I guess. But, but you know, that's why they call it myths. It's, it's one of those things where uh, I, I quite like the stories about Nazis going off getting uh, mystical artifacts. That actually happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's really cool when they play about that, and I do, I do like it here. Yeah. Especially when the idea that um, you said when we did multiverse, to it makes more sense for Aquaman to to be the hero of. Germany instead of Superman. Mm. So I, I like the link here to the uh, Atlanteans being... <laughs> oh, I, I liked all of this. I just thought that the, the basic premise is the Ubermensch were descended from angels who came to Earth, mated with mortal women. He then becomes a Roman gladiator. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then ruled Earth from Atlantis. Yeah. Which is then flooded. Yeah. Obviously. Now, some things think that that's um, the biblical great flood. No, we don't. They? Right, that yeah. pillared into Atlantis being shrunk. Sunk, sorry, not shrunk. Um, and then that severed the bloodline. Yeah. So they're mixing and matching the myths. So, but no, I didn't dislike this, by so, any means. So, okay, say this is a real-world situation. This actually okay. happened, right? <laughs> so there's this German guy, and he gets all these things, and then turns into, like, the super god thing, right? Yeah. That confirms that all these mythical things exist, Atlantis yeah. existed, yeah. and heaven exists. Yeah. All right, okay. All right, I'll fine go with that. I didn't know what I'm all saying. All three of those things need to exist for well, this to work. this is like the Raiders of the Lost Ark thing, isn't it? Yeah. You would have to be an idiot to be an atheist in Indiana Jones' world. Yeah. The Ark of the Covenant clearly <laughs> exists. Yeah. The God clearly exists. So, essentially, it's the same thing here, isn't it? It's, that guy's going to be really annoyed when he, he, he dons all of these <laughs> these things and they're just replicas. <laughs> yeah, Abby's not brought the real thing. Yeah, the real things are still in the museum vaults. <laughs> that would actually have been a really cool ending. <laughs> yeah. That they weren't real. But anyway, but they're not, so, okay. Um, I do not believe for a second that Abby and Agent Zero can just swim onto Hammer Island. Hmm. There are no guards where the the sub um, the subs are. There's a couple of people around, but that's it. Yeah, you've you've got this undersea entrance. Surely you put a couple of mines around. Yeah, I mean, obviously you'd want to know where they are so that your subs yeah, yeah. don't get caught in them. Oh, here's a wacky idea: just have to have people watching everywhere at once. <laughs> yeah, so that there are guards around. But all right, fair enough. I mean, James Bond does this all the time, doesn't he? Sneaks into with a somewhere. little duck on his head. Yeah, with a little duck on his head. So uh, you know. Um, it's kind of woolly thinking, though. I mean, it's the kind of woolly thinking that leads to Hammer being so overconfident to not check their adversaries are dead. Yeah. That Natalia's really not very good at her job, is she? She's not. She should really have checked that everyone was deceased. I think that would have been the smart move. Abby then complains that Agent Zero's plan is to nuke Hammer Island. Only way to be sure. Yeah, which I, I'm with him. Yeah. Blow the place up. I, you know... Try and get your friends off. You already think you don't know they're still alive at this point, do you? Uh, no, she doesn't know not, Sydney yeah. Savage and, and uh, Johnny Barracuda are still alive. Mm. So yeah, just blow the island up. I mean, obviously you can be sure. I don't know. Um, and then we get the bit that I thought was a bit much. Right. Sydney's way of enticing the guard shows just how obvious men are. Um, she basically says, "I need to pee." But I can't undo my cat suit, so will you please come in here and undo it for me? Yeah. And that, that close up of him undoing the cat suit's a little bit gratuitous. I feel like Johnny's face on that panel. Yeah, Johnny's like, hey! <laughs> Johnny can enjoy it and not get kicked in the face. That's very, very true. That's, that's, that's true, because he unzips it pretty low down below the he, belly button. Well, she needs to go for a whip. That's very, very, very true. She doesn't wear underwear either. No. Nope. So the Danger Girl's budget doesn't spring for underwear, does it now? <laughs> They, they spend too much on Porsches that blow up and tight cat suits. And tight, yeah, they've got entire wardrobes of cat suits. Yeah. <laughs> no one no <laughs> Oh, dear me. Um, it's the penultimate chapter. It's, it's, we're past the all is lost moment. Mm. And we're into the moment where the, the heroes start fighting back. Having four pages of exposition in the middle of it. Was um, was probably unnecessary, but it's exposition. It's got to go somewhere, isn't it? Yeah. Got to explain what these things are. Anyway, they're all in the right place as we we move into the finale. Not expecting any surprises. 
It's going to end in certain doom. Yeah, but uh, yeah. it's not going to end in certain doom. Everyone's going to be fine. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure that's how this is going to work out. Chapter 7 was apparently called Into the Danger Zone. But there's no actual title in it right. anywhere that I saw. I got that off Mike's Amazing World. So I don't know where he got that from, but maybe, it fits. Maybe it was on the cover. Maybe it was. Maybe it was on the cover. And it fits that it would have a danger in the title somewhere. Yeah. And it's an excuse to play Top Gun. Danger Zone. Which is another spy guy now, isn't it? Archer quite likes Danger Zone, doesn't he? Danger Zone. Uh, Chapter 7 is all kicking off. As Sydney and Johnny make make their way through the labyrinth that is the Hammer Base, Abby breaks into the surveillance room and does some hoo-jah that allows Valerie full access to the island schematics. Agent Zero and Assassin X, meanwhile, tore their shirts off to do a homoerotic battle for the honour of their dead sensei. Johnny and Sydney aren't doing as well, surrounded by Hammer agents with no place to turn, they fall into each other's arms as the music swells. And it stops abruptly as Abby closes all the blast doors and cuts off the Hammer agents. With the gang all back together, Valerie leads Sydney up to the surface where the Hammer guards are preparing their ceremony because we knew that this would end in a ceremony of some kind. Abby heads down there to stop them just as Kane and Abel recapture Johnny and Sydney. It's like an episode of Doctor Who, isn't it? Down on the dais, the old creepy Fuhrer dude is removed from his iron lung and steps forward. The helmet, sword and shield are placed upon him, but he collapses under the weight. Abby proposes to move in, but is distracted by Dahlia, who of course explains all about her inevitable betrayal and faked death before the two can get into a catfight that results in torn clothing. Tom York, meanwhile, commands the priest to give the incantation to give him the power and a light show of Jean-Michel Jarre proportions ensues. After the impressive display is over, De Fuhrer rises, now reborn as a strong, virile Arnie type, resplendent in Roman gladiatorial combat gear. Ghosts swirl around him and skeletons rise from the earth. Iron Lung Man, or Tom York, has no time for the hammer and quickly his agents turn against them. Well, this is not the Fuhrer. This is Atticleus, a demon unleashed. Abby tells a shocked Natalia that if they don't stop Atticleus, it is certain doom for them all. It's team-up time. Abby and Natalia steal a convenient helicopter that is ready to fly in seconds as opposed to the minutes it normally takes to warm up a helicopter, and they airwolf in, firing away at Atticleus. Abby misses, seemingly, but it is in fact all a ruse as the walls come tumbling down and the water runs in. A flood! Atlantis, see? With Atticleus dispatched, Natalia returns to type. Elsewhere, Sydney is putting the smackdown on Dr. Von Crippler for his gag about her arse, and Agent Zero and Assassin X have a conversation about who Abby is to Agent Zero, but it's unresolved as Assassin X falls off a wobbly gantry into the boiling water below. Agent Zero starts to panic when he realises his timer is broken and he has no way of knowing when the island is about to explode. He flees. Deuce and Valerie arrive on jet skis to save Sydney and Johnny, but Abby is still wrestling with the controls of the copter and Natalia. A real stroke of luck blasts the canopy off the chopper, allowing Abby to chuck Natalia over her head, but Abby refuses to let go. Natalia reminds Abby that this ain't like the old days, dog, and falls just as the island blows up. The wrap-up. Abby is officially welcomed into the Danger Girls. Agent Zero looks on mournfully, then stirs at a picture of a young Abby. Whatever could that mean? Underneath the waves, Major Maxim stirs. <laughs> it's like the end of Flash Gordon. The end, All right. and a question mark, because that's exactly what they do, isn't it? Yeah. The end and a little question mark. 
this one's all fast-paced action. It's the end of the story. It's Abby shooting machine guns and blowing stuff up, and it's really cool. I did think it was funny that the surveillance room of the Hammer has three entire monitors that are just focused on Sydney's cleavage yeah, and butt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they may be Hammer agents, but they're still men. <laughs> Which was, was quite funny. Uh, seven issues in. And of all the characters that could rip the tops off, it's Agent Zero and Assassin X. Mm. And then they do that whole Matrix thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where they beckon each other. And have a conversation about they used to be sensei to somebody or other and and all of that. Yeah, the little dude, Agent Dynamo, Kid Dynamo, whatever his name, has uh, shaven his mustache off like Michael said and become um, a Hitler type. A Hitler midget. I do like that Johnny Barracuda says, this has gone a little bit too far. Just a dab, a smidgen, a wee bit. Go ahead and mock me, Barracuda. And he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> he takes him out really quickly. Yeah. He just turns him into a bowling ball. I do like that when he says strike later yeah, on, it's ball actually ball. in a bowling ball. That was quite funny. And Sydney catches... Um, Sydney, sorry. Abby catches Sydney and uh, Johnny Barracuda snogging. <laughs> Which you do in the middle of danger, don't you? Um, of course. Of course you do. Uh, how does how does Sydney know that um, Abby's a virgin? Although Johnny's very interested in that that question. He is, yeah. I'm not more interested in hearing about this. Maybe they should have gone to the Virgin Isles. Okay. I always yeah. like the name of that place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the end of the issue, just stuff blows up. We get another sideways panel of um, Tom York turning into a Roman gladiator. I did love the bit where he just falls. Yeah, the bit where he puts the helmets on is too heavy for him because <laughs> yeah. he's old and frail. He just collapses. I love that Abby laughs at that as well. Yeah. That was a nice little little moment of self-reflective wit that I thought was quite funny. After we get the Razor's Lost Ark ending, oh, yeah, yeah. Ooh, ghost, it's so beautiful! <laughs> and then somebody's face melts off, which doesn't happen, but, but should have. Uh, Natalia and Abby go back to fighting on the helicopter. Who's piloting the helicopter when Abby tries to stop Natalia from falling to her certain doom? I don't know. She's clearly leaning out of the helicopter. Is it in hover mode? Can you do that in helicopters? Can you put them in hover? Can you not? I don't. I don't think you can do that with a helicopter. They go, they go up and down. So why that's that's they? that's true. Right, that's, that's fair enough. And then uh, that's that's the wrap up. She gets yeah. officially went into the danger girl. Johnny Barracuda thinks he's hitting on Sydney. Sydney pulls champagne over his head. And it's to Abby! Who's only wearing... Who's only wearing a dressing gown that's falling off. And it's pretty short. And it's pretty short. But fasten up the dressing gown, Abby, love. Yeah. That's yeah. all I've got to say. Agent Zero's obviously Abby's dad. Yeah. That's what we get from that. I like how he carries that picture around with him everywhere he goes. In his, in his little combat. In his yeah. little combat, yeah, that he's still ripped. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just hanging around outside, watching him <laughs> like a creepy stalker man. And uh, the ending is very much Doomsday, isn't it? Yeah. The end, question mark. Flash Gordon. Dun, dun, dun. I wonder if the Baron was in any of the sequels. I don't know. Having not read any of the... Major Maxim, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Or Agent Zero. I don't know. Having not read any of it, some... You know, it could have... Well, let's talk about the ending. The finale's explosive and action-orientated. Few surprises. More than a few convenient escapes and coincidences. It concludes in exactly the way that you would expect this to conclude. You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Hmm. There are no deeper meanings to Danger Girl. It's no. exactly what it is. It's a mishmash of Bond. 
Indiana Jones and Lara Croft. It wants to be both female empowerment for the girls, sexy titillation for the boys, and it's both of these things. Isn't it? Yeah. There's no substantial characterisation here. Sydney's Australian. That's it. And she's good with a bullwhip. Yeah. And she looks good in a catsuit. That's the entirety of Sydney's characterisation. Valerie's the computer geek. That's the entirety of her characterisation. So she's the least attractive member of the team. Of course. <laughs> of course she is. Because she's the computer geek. Yeah. She's the least attractive member of the team, but still hot. Because it's J. Scott Campbell drawing the comic. Uh, Johnny's an asshole. Yeah. But, you know, this is presumably the point. Mm. Presumably these are all archetypes and this is the first adventure and any deepening of the characters, should any be forthcoming, would have been safe for later, Yeah, we presume. Uh, if this ever happened, we can't say, can we? No. Because we've never read any of the other Danger Girl stories despite Campbell's renowned tardiness. Or perhaps because of it, the future Danger Girl mini-series is all it would produce. It would never be an ongoing series ever again. Because I don't think this was billed as a mini yeah. initially, seven-issue mini. I think it was maybe meant to be an ongoing series, but he couldn't he couldn't meet up with it. As we've said, it's, it does a lot of crossovers with other characters, though. G.I. Joe, Batman, Ash from Evil Dead. They never did Danger Girl and Predator. They didn't know. That would be funny. Danger Girl goes to... Uh, Danger Girl versus Predator. Oh, I want a Danger Girl meets Archie. Do you? Yeah. What would happen in Danger Girl vs. Archie? Betty and Veronica would just get jealous. No, what's happened is, you see, the hammer have invaded the little town and they're all... They're <laughs> the it. hammer! So yeah. a bunch of renegade Nazis have invaded Archieville. Yeah. Or they're, Riverdale. They're, they're now ruling it as, as a fascist leader and they've taken over as dictators. And so Archie's a slave. <laughs> yeah. And Betty and Veronica are being experimented on by Dr. Von Crippler. Yeah. And so they send in the Danger Girls. They do, yeah. You know, from this premise that doesn't seem very frothy and fun, <laughs> on the face of it, I think we could have a lot of fun oh, with that. Last, last entry. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Because nothing says laughter more than Nazis returning and enslaving an entire town. Yeah, if, if you can make Archie meets the Punisher fun, I'm sure... Uh... You can make fascist dictators hilarious. A lot of black comedy, yeah. I would imagine. <laughs> I think they've killed Archie off. They, 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 we're running that last now. Or she's got to go to Riverdale to, to stop the zombie infestation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Caused by Archie now being undead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and you can bring what's-his-name into it. Thingy or Sandra Spellman. Okay. Uh, Sabrina Spellman, sorry, not Sandra. Teenage Witch. <laughs> bring them all in. That'd be funny. Okay. <laughs> Come on, if we're going back, right? Back Guardo crazy. Might as well go, Might as well go the whole hog. <laughs> oh, anyway, yeah, Danger Girl's just relatively light. It's fun, it's frothy. If you're in the mood, it it does exactly what it says on the tip. It's worth checking out if you, if you like your comics to be fun, frothy, and full of scantily clad female empowerment women. Mm-hmm. And who doesn't? And who doesn't? I enjoyed the hell out of that. You know, after a couple of weeks of doing heavy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Analyzing post-crisis and doing some Grant Morrison stuff. It's good. So just kick back with a little bit of Danger Girl. Anyway, it's worth checking out. I don't know what's in the Absolute Edition, do you know? I, I, don't, I don't. I've seen the Treasuries. The Treasuries look nice. Yeah. I think they've done about three of them for all seven issues. Hmm. That would fit, wouldn't it? Next time on an all new episode of Hey Kids Comics, it's time to look at Frank Miller and Jim Lee's All Star Batman and Robin, part one of two. Mm-hmm. Don't think we'll get ten issues that in one in one in one.
on um, one episode. Even though we've got seven issues of this, you want. This is very deep, though, is it? It's not. Let's be honest. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. Goodbye. sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only and no infringement is intended so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks internet radio network and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name and Comics as the surname We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics Ah, okay. <laughs>